0: You're listening to Between Headlines. I'm Alison Hall. Between Headlines is a podcast about the people behind the headlines. This is something I've been working on, okay, thinking about for years. I'm a journalist and I meet incredible people every day, but our news cycle is fast and our attention spans are really short. I started to realize that with each person I meet who has an impact on me, I barely have time to stop and listen and learn from them before moving on to my next story. My favorite part of my job is getting to meet regular people who turn out to be far from it. People who have overcome something, people whose lives have been changed, who may have found themselves connected to a headline. This is a place for their full stories, unfiltered. We have a lot to learn from one another, and of course, we are all going through a lot. But life and these strange times in particular are very different for everyone. I hope in listening what you think you know is challenged. I hope each episode provokes a sense of empathy and understanding. Every two weeks, I'll be releasing an episode centered on a headline-based story, but with a real person who that story affects. This won't be about the daily news or the latest stats. This is the raw emotion and lessons from real life. And this is my effort to slow down and listen. And I hope you do too. In today's episode, I speak with Jeanette Sinertia. Jeanette's husband, Anthony, inspired the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Maybe you were one of the millions of people who dumped a bucket of bone-chilling ice over your head and donated to support people suffering from ALS back in the summer of 2014. It was one of the largest viral social media campaigns ever, and it raised millions and millions of dollars for the cause. Anthony was diagnosed with ALS in 2003, and he passed away in 2017. ALS is a neurological disease that causes nerve cells throughout the body to break down and then die, slowly robbing the patient of muscle movement, speech, and eventually the ability to breathe. There is no cure for ALS. Most people who are diagnosed are given three to five years to live, but some, like Anthony, can go on for years past the time given. I met Jeanette in 2017, very shortly after Anthony passed away from a 14 and a half year battle. In my job, I interview several people per day, but on this day that I met Jeanette, it would stay with me forever. After I left the Sinarchia home, I wrote something in the car so that I would remember how I was impacted by them. I'd like to read it now to introduce our conversation. The most difficult part of my job is at times calling on and speaking with families who have lost someone they love. Today, I interviewed Jeanette Sinarchia, the wife of Anthony Sinarchia the man who inspired the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge and who just recently passed away from ALS. Jeanette, her wonderful family, and her wise beyond her years nine-year-old daughter welcomed us into their home despite an incredibly hard week in which they are grappling to find their new normal. The grace, resilience, and love that they allowed us to capture took my breath away, and for the first time I had to pause in an interview so that I could compose my own tears. Anthony and Jeanette were high school sweethearts. He was diagnosed with ALS shortly after their wedding 14 years ago. Despite being told he had just a few years to live, they went on to have a gorgeous daughter and a very full life 10 years past the time he was given. They helped raise $200 million for their cause. Sometimes in our industry, or even when you watch the news or scroll through Twitter, it's hard to remember what's really important. But then you meet a family like theirs and remember a man like Anthony, and it's really easy after all. In our conversation today, Jeanette opens up about what it was really like watching her husband battle this debilitating disease, how the Ice Bucket Challenge came about, and how she cared for him for 14 years. She shares what she learned as a caregiver, wife, and mother. I think we can all learn a lot from Jeanette about love and family and taking care of each other and ourselves. Now, on to Jeanette.
1: You know, he made such an impact, um, I think on most people that he met, you know, like every time someone would meet him, it was just really interesting and Tayo was saying to me today, as we were driving to the was you know, a lot of people really liked dad and I said, yeah, they did. Um, he just kind of had a way with people and, um, I had said to you before, like, you know, he didn't, when he was diagnosed, he really didn't want anybody to know about it and he just kind of wanted to live his life and basically like, let's just ignore this, like, I'm fine. I feel good. Let's just move on and just, and keep going. Um, And he was just so instrumental in like, in young kids lives who were like playing football, um, you know, just kind of wanting everybody to be part of a team. He really, really, he was kind of like just really helping these kids just, understand life and what it's like to be on a team. And it's just not about you and it's about people around you. And and I think that was always his message. And so when this all happened, it was really like, you know, he was at a certain point, I think it was just kind of time. It was time for people to really like know and understand like what this disease is about because most people didn't know, you know, ALS, what is that? Oh, Lou Gehrig. Oh, I've heard of him, but don't actually really know what's entailed with it. I mean, it, it it's a really tough, tough battle. it It's, I'm not going to say one of the worst, because I don't know what other diseases, I mean, I've, I've had an experience with this one. And, and it was, it really, um, it really is damaging. And it was tough. Um, but I think that, you know, we did the best we could. And um, with what we did. And yeah, I do. I don't, you know, often, you know, on on a day-to-day basis, we're just kind of going about our lives. And so it was actually nice when you called um, that we could just kind of stop and, you know, and talk about him again and kind of, and bring it to light again, because I know you feel like sometimes people forget and we don't want people to forget this disease is still out there. We still need a cure. So many people are still being diagnosed. Um, You know, we have so many other things going on in the media right now. And And a lot of the stuff just falls by the wayside and and it can't because it's really it's devastating and it's affecting a lot more, you know, people who are are younger and, you know, devastating families. And, you know, it's it's sad.
0: Yeah, incredibly. Uh, When Anthony was diagnosed, did you guys even really know what it was? Like, what was that diagnosis like for the two of you? Yeah,
1: he he had gone he was going to the doctor, his rotator cuff, but he was bothering him. And he had thought maybe it was just some sort of injury from, you know, lifting weights and working out. Um, so he had been going to the doctor, you know, a few months prior to us getting married. Um, we got married in May, 2003. And, you know, as I was reading through those notes, like at the bottom, one doctor did write something about ALS and didn't even ever think or even know, um, but it was, it was the, the thing that's so crazy about it is that I was very impacted by a book that I had read, which was um, Tuesdays with Maury.
0: I love that book. Yeah.
1: And so I was so impacted, and he had ALS, and it was just like this book that I always remembered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it's funny because I don't really remember anything. I'm always like, <laughs> but it was this book that I remembered. And so when he came home, and, I remember he was like, I'm just going to go to the doctor. I'm going to Columbia. I'm just going to go. I, he was working in the city at the time. He's like, you don't have to come. Um, he's like, let me just go. He's like and not even thinking that this, the doctor was going to say anything remotely close to this. So by the time he got back, um, I remember he was just standing in the kitchen and he just looked at me with this face and I was like, what? And when he told me, it was like, oh, like. Just, I think my heart just sank. You know, he's like, you know, I just didn't know. I didn't even know what to say. And I was just kind of at a loss. And, you know, from that point on, it was just my grandmother then had died like two days later, you know, like the good grandma was I couldn't, like, process. I didn't know what I was crying over, you know, or like, this was going on. What did it mean? Because then, you know, the doctor had said, like, oh, don't, you know, look online because. You know that might not be you know what's true to what's going to happen with Anthony, um, and then we had both gone back together, and the doctor sat down and really explained it um, to us, and kind of just said, you know, go home and live your life. And we didn't really know what that meant. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? You know? And he meant go home and live your life. And at that point, we just kind of we did. We crumbled, and we just. Had a difficult time. We just didn't know how to manage it. How do you tell people? When do we tell them? What are you telling them? Um, you know, three to five years. What is that like? How do we even know? And you know, and then you see people like Stephen Hawking who are living, you know, this this life for many years with it. And so, what is it going to be for us? And I think that's the problem is that you know it's so different for everybody, and it just affects everybody so differently. So you just it's just you know, like a guessing game and a waiting game to see what's next and what's in store for you next.
0: I know uh, this all was around when you guys got married. Were you married yet or did that come after? It came right after. So it came
1: about, um, we got married in May and he was diagnosed the first week of July. So we went on our honeymoon, we came home, you know, and there you are. So you think you have this whole life ahead of you and you have these plans and these things that we talked about and we had just built a house and, you know, we were going to, you know, thinking of flipping it and we were going to build a bigger, you know, it was like, you know, you're planning your life out and all of a sudden you're like, "Mm, yeah, that's not happening. That's, this is not the way it's going. It's going to go a different way and we don't know which way, but you guys are going to have to figure it out. Um, So, you know, it's, that was the first, um i think step that i really had is being a grown-up it was like you know i'd lived with my parents i stayed home and went to college it was like and here i am out um you know living on my own for the first time with my husband and then boom your whole world is just kind of you know crumbling in front of you and you just don't know how to deal with it and my husband was like go to work do you know and i was like no like i can't you know i couldn't just, and he's like, no, we're just going to go to work and we're just going to keep going. And, and we're not going to let this defeat us. We're just going to keep going. And that was always, that was always the road he took was that we are not going to let this defeat us. Um, and so we just, we did, we just kind of put our heads down and, and went on with our life. And um, yeah, it was difficult because as, you know, I was talking to Tay the other day, we were talking about, you know, morning and, and things. And I said, you know, I guess, She asked me, like, well, when do you cry? Because I don't always cry so much in front of her now. And I said, well, that's funny you ask. I said, because, you know, I was crying the other day, driving out to Long Island to go pick you up at my cousin's. And she's like, oh. I said, I know I don't always cry so much in front of you, but sometimes it's a private thing. I said, you know, and and Dad and I had a very long life of mourning. You know, you're mourning as you go, which was something that I learned in, in bereavement, is that every time something was taken away from us, you're mourning it, you know, you're not, you know, going out on the boat anymore. You're not going skiing, you're not traveling, you're not. So all of those things, as they start to unfold and, and as he starts to get worse and he starts to lose movement in his hands and, you know, every single change in step is a mourning process because you're losing part of him. Um, and so just to kind of like give her some insight into like what life has been like. And, you know, when you're, and you're sitting in this bereavement room and some people who have had immediate loss, they're feeling it all at once. And so ours was just kind of over this period of time, you know, and and it was 15 years of ALS. It was a long time. And, but I always said, like, I don't, it was the path we were supposed to take. And, um, and it definitely made us into the people that we are today. It just, it gives us a little bit more empathy, a little bit more understanding, um, a little bit more love for people and things that they go through. And, you know, and you have to, under, people would say to me, well, I feel bad complaining to people," And I'm like, everybody has their thing and you're allowed to have your thing. And maybe if you think my thing is bigger, it's not, it's still your thing. And you're still going through something and it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to tell people about it. Um, Cause I think I was pretty quiet in, in, you know, not sharing the things that were going on with me because I just had to, you know, <laughs> keep moving and, you know, and then we decided to have Taya. And um, and that was tough. He couldn't hold her. He, you know, it was very he did what he could, but yeah, it was you know all on me to feed her, get up, you know. And
0: well, I was just gonna ask about her. Like, so when she was born, you described that you brought her home from the hospital, and Anthony was at a point in his illness where he couldn't hold her. So she was born into knowing that he was sick like what was that like i was going to ask you know was there a point where you had to sit her down and explain it to her or was it just normal for her her.
1: um we were always very open about the fact that dad is als and we explained to her what it meant um when she started to ask questions about um whether or not he would pass away from it we weren't going to lie to her and i think that that was something that was really important in in dealing with children is that you know, we lie to them about so much, <laughs> you know, the Easter bunny and, and Santa Claus. And I felt like, I'm, you know, something like this, like we need to really be upfront with her because that's just how we are. And, and you know, as hard as it is, and she's not fully going to grasp the things that we're saying to her, but yeah, you know, we don't know when, you know, dad can live for 10, we, we're not really sure, but yes, generally people who are diagnosed with ALS will pass away from the disease. And so that was kind of, um, but she's always just, she's always known him as just having ALS. And, you know, as things started to change, it was just, the, the progression was so slow that as it was just happening, it was just part of life. And we just kept rolling with it. Um, and I think she was so young, so I'm not really even sure how much she fully noticed while it was happening Um, it didn't allow her to really care for him Um, some families do that which is totally okay Um, it just I felt for myself um, I thought she's gonna have a hard enough time like I didn't want her to have to have the burden and I didn't want them to have that relationship Um, so that was really important that we you know that's her dad she can go get him socks once in a while but um, she, I don't want you feeding him. And she would ask, like, can I feed him? And I would say, no, I got it. Like, because I didn't want that relationship. I didn't want her to have to, you know, care give for him. I wanted them just to have, you know, a dad and daughter relationship where they can read
0: books together and they can just be fun. You know, he was the fun dad. I, I just th- thought it was so interesting when we spoke last, you talked about, and today you mentioned that Anthony didn't really like telling people about his ALS. And for several years, he hardly talked yeah. about it. And then, well, just tell me, like, how did the Ice Bucket Challenge come about? And and how did it affect you guys? And how did it affect Anthony?
1: So my cousin's husband, Chris Kennedy, is a golfer. He's a pro golfer in Florida. And um, they had probably just gotten married prior, that summer prior to this all happening. So he was joking around with me. And um, he sent it to me as a joke. Like, didn't actually really think I was going to do it, but he nominated me. And then he was like, relentless in making sure that I did it. Um, so I went outside and I said to Taya like, I will give you one shot at filming this. I was like, if this fails. And I feel like, how old was she? Um, so what was that? She was probably like six or something. I don't even know, whatever the math is. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, she's holding the iPad and she's filming me. And so I did it and I sent it to, you know, three of my friends. And um, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, they did it and then like a few more people did it and then more people did it. And it was just kind of like starting to like catch on. And, and I think, you know, timing was really played a huge part because it was warm out and, you know, people wanted to show their support um, for Anthony. Cause I think most people were, I think, I think people had known at that point, but it was never really talked about um, much you know, we weren't huge on social media. We just kind of like, if you knew, you knew. Um, I think that was really like the point where it started to hit home. Like, oh, he has ALS and we were living a certain way for so many years. And so now it was like kind of just blowing up. Um, But it was so amazing for him to see, you know, everybody in our town and people you know, we had gone to high school with and people his brothers had gone to high school with and like everyone was really like getting involved. And it was just, we just would stay up to like two o'clock in the morning, like watching all these videos of everybody. Um, and then Anthony's like, I really should, you know, do like a thank you. Um, so he ended up doing it as well. <laughs> and I, and he's like, you're not going to put ice in that. I'm like, of course I am. Like, <laughs> if we had to do this. Like, you're doing this too. Um, and then it just started to kind of like take off. And, and it was nice to, you know, like I said, see everybody in our community just like really supporting him um, and the cause. And then um, it went over to a gentleman who lives in Yonkers, the next town over, Pat Quinn. And um, he had started with his network of people and then he had passed over to Pete Frady's. And then by that time it had gained like so much momentum. And that really just kind of like sent it off really into like this phenomenal, you know, social media event, And it was just, it was pretty insane to watch it happen. And yeah. And then all the interviews started and it was just like, oh my goodness, you know, it was just, it was happening all so fast, but it was so amazing for so many ALS patients who were suffering and then just to have something to look forward to. And it was, this was really nice so that they could see their friends and their family support them and their communities. So it was just—it was pretty amazing. Um, we had gone to Facebook, and they were showing us all the data and like kind of how it worked, and it was just—and they were even like, "This is like, like our work is normally kind of like, what like." It was just blowing up, so it was fun to see, you know, the people and talk to them who are you know behind the scenes of Facebook and who do all the algorithms and kind of, <laughs> you know, watch you know everything that goes on. Um, so yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty phenomenal. So it something that kind of turned into, you know, a little bit of like a joke um, ended up being something pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And what did Anthony think of it? He loved it. He
1: just, you know, I think at that point it was, I think kind of a relief for him. Like, you know, this is it. This is what I have. Everybody knows about it. You know, I think he, you know, he's still, he was still like very kind of private with his life. Um, but still just, you know, I think at a certain point he really wanted life to be a little bit easier for Taya. And I think that that was something that this created because he was always so worried about, you know, other children being mean or saying something. And I think that was, it was nice that she, didn't have to walk into a room and kind of discuss what ALS was like, people just knew, um, ALS, I spoke a challenge. Oh yeah, we did that. You know? Um, so it was nice to, to generate some awareness around a disease that most people didn't even know what it was. You know, people have heard of Lou Gehrig's, you know, but actually what it meant. So, um, it was, it was nice that it needed some recognition and this is what kind of drove it home. So most people do, they're aware of what it is. Um, and we thought that that would make it
0: a little bit easier for her. But even just what you said about grieving, I I thought was really interesting because as you said, that you said to Taya, we were grieving these various things along the way. And so yeah. like it, it was both of you, right? Grieving together. Yeah. And it wasn't just you grieving your husband, but together you and your husband were grieving these things along the way.
1: Because it was just it was frustrating. It was um, you know, all of a sudden it's like I can't button my shirt anymore. And so I would just button it and then it got to the point where it's like I you know, um, you know, he couldn't shower himself because he can't, couldn't wash his hair and it was like, Let's just get in the shower and he would always just feel horrible and I'm like, What? What's the big deal? Like I'm like it's the cleanest you've ever been in your entire life. <laughs> It's a joke like because we had to make jokes and we always made jokes and and they may have been very um <laughs> some people would just look at us like <laughs> just so not appropriate but it was like that's us you know it was you know you know we would joke because he was like don't when I die please don't bury me in a suit and if we were fighting I'd be like and I'm burying you in a suit and people were like what do you say? better not he's like i want to be in my football fleece and jeans and i want to be comfortable and i'm like suit it is you know, <laughs> with a tie <laughs> there were like these moments of like yeah i don't know what to tell you it's yeah this is how we're dealing with it and you know and there were some times where it just it wasn't pretty and it was sad and i wanted to run away and i just you know, you're trying to do things and and anthony was trying to fight so he was fighting Um, you know, just to like for life. And there was a lot of things that I didn't even understand that were going on with him. And and now, you know, looking back at it, it was like, oh, you know, it's, you know, and, and there was that little bit of guilt too, once he passed that, um, there were things that I failed to recognize because when you're in things, sometimes you're in so deep, you're in the weeds and you can't see anything. You were just trying. You're basically trying to survive, and I think that's kind of what happened over the years. Is that it? Just it just got really heavy um, at times, and, and it was tough. And try I, I I started exercising and started to just go like you know I think I need to really start to take care of me. I think that's something that's really important because as a caregiver, the only way that you're able to really a good caregiver is to really first take a look at yourself and um and make sure that you're doing okay and so that was a really that was one thing that i learned is that i have to and i and i felt bad because i'm very empathetic and it was like oh don't worry about me i'm fine but at you know and, and empathetic people tend to do that they tend to just worry about others and it was like if i don't start worrying about me a little bit we're gonna have a really big problem and so i just kind of put myself into, I found a really great, um, gym right by my house. And we just, we had a really nice community of people and, um, you know, it really, it helped, um, it helped in the morning. I would, you know, take care to school and then I would go to the gym for an hour and then I'd come home. And then that gave me the energy to be able to then get him up and start his day. Um, and those were the things that really, that helped. And it was like the food and, and making sure that I was eating properly. And um, it, it just, it, from a mental standpoint, I felt like I had some control over something because I had in this world of not having any control. And, and then you come across and it's like, oh, I can control this. I can control what, I, what it is that I'm doing. I can tr- control, you know, my exercise. It kind of frees me up. It gives me endorphins. It's making me feel a little bit
0: better. The people that I'm working out with are great. I mean, there must have been points where you had to basically like carry him, whether like from the bed to the wheelchair, you guys have stairs in your house. How did that work? Like you are a a tiny fit woman, but that must have been really hard. Yeah, it was tough.
1: Um, You know, he was probably maybe like 160, 165, but he's like solid. He was really solid. And I just, I don't know. I think over time, I just got really, I got strong. And i that was why I worked out. It was like I was lifting to make myself stronger because it made my life a little bit easier. Transferring him from the bed to the wheelchair into the shower. There were times where he fell so many times. Um, and he was so adamant about like not calling anybody to help and I'm like, <laughs> Okay, so I was like, I'm gonna deadlift you right now, and I'm just gonna like go with this. And this is not gonna be graceful, but I'm going to like fling you up on the bed because there, you know, there were times where he had like fallen out of bed, and um, you know, it's like two, three o'clock in the morning. And um, I was like, I'm just gonna try this. And so it would just, and he would just laugh, like we would just do it.
0: <laughs> and I would like, and I would just like
1: throw him on the bed, and then it would just be like, you know, we would just laugh about it. I was like, I guess I can say I have a PR last night of like 165 with my husband. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, it was, I was really like working out to get strong um, so that I was able to keep, you know, helping him and, and assisting him. Um, and then at a certain point it got to be, I think I cared for him for probably about four years of, yeah. And that, that definitely think when I was in it, didn't realize how much of a toll it took on me. Um, but I think, um, you know, having AIDS here too, it it was tough for them. They had a hard time as well. You know, he's, he's a heavy guy. Um, you know, and, um, yeah, I felt for them too. I, at a certain point, I was just kind of like, you, you have to deal with him. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like it just, it didn't have anything left in me. It's, you know, day in and day out, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week of, you know, feeding and caring and brushing teeth. And, you know, it, you don't, I don't think you even realize like, you know, what's happening. And just, I feel like I'm just coming up, um, you know, for a breath of air. That's how it kind of feels for me. Um, just starting to have happier days. The, The string of happier days are better now. Um, you know and then there's you know bad days um and it's just kind of it's an up and down process and someone said to me she's like oh well you know what it, it's only been like three years like it's not you know and I'm like oh yeah I thought I think you know honestly speaking like after he passed there was kind of like this little bit of like relief and it was weird it was odd to me it was just things were foggy. It was, it was odd. It was so odd because it was like, I'm like rubbing my eyes, but it was, it didn't matter. It was like, everything just looked foggy. It just had this haze over it. Um, And then there was like this moment of like, Oh, like, okay. Like I'm I'm free almost. I felt like I was free. And then all of a sudden it just kind of reality started to kind of creep in. And, and that's where I really kind of, just struggled. And I always said, you know, my sister-in-law was my crying partner, Rita. She, um, I would just call her and be like, we need to cry. And she would be like, okay, let's just cry. And I was like, yeah, like, that's what I need from you right now. I know I had a, the one thing that I did. And I think I had mentioned this two months before it was the takeaway of, um, that I took away from this whole thing was asking people for help. And, and that really kind of did me in at a certain point because I just didn't know how to ask. And then if I did ask, it wasn't nice. It was just like this expectation of like, well, why do I have to ask? And that was kind of like how I would feel. And, you know, I wasn't always gracious and I wasn't always nice and um, I was tired and I should have just asked um, at points. And I think people don't like to burden other people, um, especially because it was for so long. Um, But I do think it's important to share with people what it is you're going through. And, you know, everyone thought I was fine. They're like, my mother even thought I was. She's like, I knew you weren't fine, but you acted like you were always fine. You acted like you always had it. And I was like, Yeah, that was the first thing. Like you shouldn't know this. (laughs) Like, yeah, I I did. I tried to act like I had this all handled. I did. And um, and then I woke up one day and I was like, I don't have this at all. But you know what it is? I always, I managed, like, I looked decent because I was working out and I got out of bed every day and I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And at a certain point, I'm like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I just didn't know. It was really, literally like just, you know, gym, being a mom, and, and being a caregiver. And like, that was it. That was my life for so long. And it was just, you know, at times it was fulfilling and at other times it just wasn't. Um, so it's was just trying to figure out too in the process, you know, as you're becoming a mom and then like, as you start to get older, you start to go like, well, what is my life like? And start to really kind of take a look, you know, at your life and where you're at and, and what makes you happy. And, you know, so you're going through all these life changes as well, along with dealing with us. And it's just, at a certain point, I just didn't even know how anymore. Um, and that was just, I felt like I was just kind of off the rails um. Yeah. And
0: I just kind of had to like rein myself in a little bit. And with asking for help, was it an active decision? I don't want to ask for help. Or did you just think like, nope, I can do this. And it didn't even cross your mind. And then suddenly you really need it.
1: Yeah, I think I just felt bad. Like, I don't want to, you know, have to make you feed him or I don't want to, you know, it's some people just need to help. Um, and others like you had to ask. And I just hated asking because I felt like I was just kind of imposing on them. You know, he was my husband, you know. Um, and then, you know, there were people who were amazing and they would come by and, and help out. And um, but I felt I think I think I caregate. I think I was like caring for him for so
0: long, like those four years, really. It was a lot. Did it make a difference for people who would just come and just say like put me to work and you know thank you rather than just open-ended hey let me know if you ever need anything
1: yeah there was a lot of let me know if you ever need anything and of course no one ever asks so i don't even know why people say that like, <laughs> and i don't even do that anymore because i know <laughs> I'm like hey if you need anything um Yeah, I try not to ever make those words come out of my mouth because it really is just like, you know, and I'll say to friends, like my girlfriend just had surgery last week. And I'm like, am I making, what night am I making dinner? Like these very specific, what night do you need dinner? Do you need, it, you know, and what are the kids eating? What am I getting? Should I do this, this, and this? And that's kind of like how I offer help now. Um, Because just to leave it open-ended, no one is ever going to call you. They're just not going to be like, hey, because I do think people have a hard time asking for the things that they need, especially if they think, um, you know, you're they're, you're imposing on someone and their life and, um, you know, it was hard to care for. He was like, he just required. There was a lot that went into caring um, and there is a lot that goes into caring for ALS patients.
0: I think that's such an interesting point because I think so many people go through various difficult things in their lives. And sometimes they might be surprised when various friends or people don't necessarily show up for them in the way that they want them to. Often, it seems like it's people just actually don't even really know how. They don't know what to say or what to do, or they they don't know what ALS is, or they don't know, they feel uncomfortable maybe. They think, oh, that's just so sad and scary. I don't even know what to say. Like what for you guys actually made a difference over time and what did you get from people?
1: So I think there was, we got a mix. We had people who really showed up and then there were people we knew who just couldn't handle it. And, you know, I always talk about my husband's college roommate. Um, We showed up at his birthday party and I think we ruined his whole birthday party because he just like cried the whole night and he just couldn't handle Anthony just staying with him. and so when he showed up for the funeral, Anthony had said to me, when Mitch shows up, like tell him I love him and it's okay. And I thought Mitch was just like an acruple. And we were like, it's okay. Like some people just can do what they can do and they can't be penalized for it and you can't be angry with them for it. Um, So that was some of the things because I was angry at some people, like I was just like, and frustrated. And then I thought, I can't hold this because to hold anger, they might not even know you're angry. First of all, <laughs> like you're holding all of this animosity and this anger. And they're just like, Hey, because some people aren't aware. And some people, so if you don't know something and then you don't know it, and it's, you know, and you can, sometimes you can say to people, but they still, if you can't see it, then you're just, you're unaware of it. Um, and you can't be angry with, you know, every person that couldn't show up or didn't know how to show up. And I just, I couldn't hold that. I mean, I, I could've, you know, <laughs> there were so many people, like it just, you know, it it was just, it, some some of that was really difficult, but I was like, I'm not gonna hold this. I'm not gonna live my life being angry at someone who just didn't know. And so you have to be forgiving and you, in order to like move forward in life, like. I think that with everything, not just sickness and illness, that there are people in this world who are going to show up for you. And those are the people, you know, and that's great. And you should be really thankful that you have those people. And then you're gonna find people who don't show up and that's okay too. You know, you have, you know, there's, I always say like, I don't have a ton of friends, but the friends that I do have are are amazing.
0: What was Anthony like as a boyfriend since high school and as a husband?
1: (laughs) He's so funny. He was a pain in my ass. ass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It seems like humor is a lot of what has influenced your life, both with Anthony and now.
1: I think so. It is. Um, I don't know. And it's, it could be super inappropriate at times, but I'm just like, I don't know what else to say. Like, this is us. This is me. This is what we did. And this is how we dealt with it. And everyone has their way. Um, and I always feel like and however you do it, it's not wrong. It's your way. And that's okay. You know, you, you do what you can do because it's just hard um, life can be challenging and, you know, it's, and this is not the end of it. It's, there's, you know, there's still going to be, I'm still going to come and eventually in my life. I'm still going to have ups and downs. And it's just basically, it was always like how you deal with those things is is ultimately like the outcome that you're, that you want to have with it. You guys were high school students. Yeah. Yes, we were. Um, yeah, he was a senior and I was um, a freshman. I don't even know. I was a sophomore. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I was reading something that he wrote to Taya prior to talking to you, and um, I remember I was walking up. I was I was running to class or something, and it was around Christmas time, and he had mistletoe, and I ran like kind of into him on the stairs, and he like held it above my head, and he gave me a kiss, and I remember I was like, I ran into class with my girlfriend, and I'm like, oh my god. Like, Anthony Sinnerchia just gave me a kiss on the lips. Oh, my God. He was like, so just reading that, it was part of um, something, a couple of things that he had written for her.
0: Totally. Oh, that is the cutest meet-cute story ever.
1: Yeah, and then we kind of, you know, I don't know if I would have um, survived this with anybody, Um, but just being in this with him and being in the trenches with him, it was really, like, it was hard, but it was, like, wouldn't have wanted to do with anybody else. Like it just was like, this is it, this is our world. This is what we were dealt and we're gonna do the best we can with it. Um, You know, he was an amazing father. He, you know, I I always say to him, I married you because of your math skills. You know, he's an engineer, so he was really like, math just wasn't my thing. And I'm like, that's the only reason I married you. Like, because (laughs) I knew if we had kids, like that was your job. Um, So, you know, he would always sit with Taya and do, she would sit on his lap and they would sit in the wheelchair and they would do homework together. Um, Yeah, he would, even when he, you know, he didn't really have much use of his arms, but he would take her in the wagon and he would walk her around town in her red wagon. And he would just kind of, you know, he would struggle, but he would go for an hour and just kind of take her and spend some time with her. Um, You know, he just, he was really there for her. He really um, was very present in her life despite his disability. Um, And she, you know, remembers, and we talk about it all the time. And and just, those are the things that like, I don't ever want her to forget is that, you know, he is an amazing dad. He will always be, he's still watching over her. He's still very much a part of her life and my life, um, you know, in in a very healthy way. And it was funny, he said to us, um, you know, maybe I'll come to you like as a butterfly. And I'm like, right, you're gonna be a butterfly. yeah that's you um so and it turned out it was his football number it was 44 and this number shows up everywhere wow so but yeah i mean life happens and you know we just like i said you just do the best you can and um and that's all you can do
0: sitting here with you for the last hour plus it's like sitting in a master class on life
1: it's you know like I said I
0: just I feel for people
1: and so thank you for doing this because this is pretty amazing and um and I'm glad that you called and I really really appreciate it
0: it's all I can say is I'm just so grateful to speak to you and for you to share your story I think that there's just so much to be learned from your guys experience and the way that you handled it all I tried
1: um, like I said, always just do the best that you can, and, and stop, and sometimes just really kind of think about where you're at. Because um, I think in order to be a good caregiver, you have to like, like I said, like really take care of yourself, and and speak to the people around you, people who are in your circle, people who are willing to help you, and and just be willing to include them in it. Um, and it doesn't have to be all the time, but you do need a break, and you need to like recognize that you're human um and that and it, it's okay to not always be on and to always be perfect or to make it look like it's perfect and like i said do the best you can because life is challenging it's hard it's and there's so much of it <laughs> we're very full lives and it's, you know we're not here for a long period of time but we're here long enough and you know we're going to you know have different battles at different points in our lives and it's just keep i always just say like just keep moving forward because they do Things get better and then they might get worse and then they'll get better again and it's just it's a little bit of a roller coaster, but it's okay and just take it for what it is. But um, you know, know that eventually like things do kind of work out.
0: Thanks for listening.